do me a favor, will you? Hold up that jar again. And look at me. Hey, what are you doing? Taking your picture. What for? Gonna put it in the paper. What kind of paper? In the newspaper in Albuquerque. My picture? Certainly. Honest? <laughs> Everybody wants to see how you look. And I'm gonna write a story. They wanna know all about you. They'll be pulling for you. How do you like that? Me in the paper. Let's take another one, Leo. Well, let me wipe my face first. Hold it. And don't say anything about those Indian spirits. I don't want anybody to think I'm scared. Don't worry, Leo. I'm your pal. I know. That's why I can talk to you. Sure you can. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We are looking at Ace in the Hole for this episode. Ace in the Hole is a little bit of a departure for us. Um, just in our what we tend to do, we tend to do a lot of like out there movies, a lot of cult films. We tend to do a lot of like science fiction, horror, that kind of stuff. We don't tend to have tons of dramas. I'm not opposed to them, but they just have to be things that kind of fit our mold and that aren't super famous, you know, to like general public and kind of thing. And I think Ace in the Hole does fit that. And I would actually say of the movies that we've done in the past, Ace in the Hole is most comparable to A Face in the Crowd. And like in my uh, Blu-ray shelf, I actually have them side by side because I think they have a lot of like thematic similarities. So if you listen to our episode on A Face in the Crowd or I've ever seen that great Andy Griffith film, A Face in the Crowd, where he is just this maniacal bastard, um, check that out if you haven't. Uh, it's great. Um, but Ace in the Hole has definitely some similarities. It's from 1951. It is a social slash media satire, and also I would argue is film noir. It's very bright for a film noir. It, you know, it's like it's set in the deserts. So there's a lot of light, and you think of film noir, you think of like oh, detectives and dark alleyways and that kind of stuff. But I feel the what's going on in it and the way that a lot of the characters interact are straight out of film noir. It's just in a different setting. So um, the James M. Cain book and later made into some films, um, The Postman Always Rings Twice, has kind of a similar thing where it's like in a desert setting and people are in like a, a restaurant a lot. And so it that's set kind of in the middle of nowhere compared to when you think of like Chicago or New York or San Francisco for film noir. And I think that that kind of like brightness and sunniness is like serving a good counterpoint to what's like lurking underneath in the film and in you know the specific themes and the characters so those would be kind of the genres i would say that it uh, occupies uh it is directed produced and co-written by billy wilder the famed director billy wilder and he directed many films throughout his career his most notable are probably double indemnity the lost weekend sunset boulevard some like it hot the seven-year itch the apartment and then he had many others um, the film stars Kirk Douglas as Chuck Tatum, Jan Sterling is Lorraine Minosa, and Richard Benedict is Leo Minosa, and then there are a handful of other characters. There's like a sheriff character, there's a couple like re other reporter characters. The crux of the plot is Kirk Douglas is a big city reporter who's had falling outs, fallings, fallings out? Uh, I don't know how you pluralize that. I think Fallings out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, he fucked around and found out. <laughs> like a ter attorney's general. Yeah. Uh, fallings out at various uh, newspapers over his career. And so he's basically hit rock bottom as he sees it. 
and he's in Albuquerque and he tries to take a job to just kind of make ends meet for a while. He ends up being in this job for like a year or so and he's looking for his big break. And so his big break comes with a cave-in at uh, a local, uh, was it a mine? Or... No, it's a, it's a, like, Indian, like, Indian, not burial Sacred ground, mountain. But like, an, it, they, like, like those old, like, Aztec, like, communities right. built yeah. into the Yeah, well, they talk of... about that a lot, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell or remember if they had addressed that if it was being used for anything, like, beyond that, but it, it might have no. just been just a sacred site. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, the guy's in there basically looking for artifacts, um, you know, and, uh, there's, like, a cave-in, and so he's trapped. And so Kirk Douglas sees this as an opportunity to make it into a big story. And we'll delve into all those aspects. But that's kind of the central central conceit of the movie. Uh, Kirk Douglas is the lead. He takes up the bulk of the screen time. There are other characters that play supporting roles. And so Jan Sterling is the wife of the guy who is in the cave-in. Richard Benedict is the guy who's in the cave-in. A few other things to throw out before we introduce everyone here. It was a commercial failure at the time and was also not reviewed favorably by critics. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter called it, quote, ruthless and cynical, a distorted study of corruption and mob psychology that is nothing more than a brazen, uncalled-for slap in the face of two respected and frequently effective American institutions, democratic government and the free press. And my note on reading that was, gee, reporters didn't like it, huh? <laughs> because this movie is very critical of, I mean, he's, Kirk Douglas is not supposed to be like representative of all reporters. He's clearly supposed to be a shitty and shady reporter and a sensational one. And there's examples of good men, like good reporters in the film. So it's not like denigrating a whole profession. So them saying that is I think the lady doth protest too much a little <laughs> bit with that statement. Like, cause it's clearly like a character study on this one guy and not reporters are monsters. Um, but so, yeah, so that, I think it was probably poorly reviewed because a lot of reporters were probably writing film criticism at the time would be my guess in the 1950s. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was not well received at the time, but by at least the early two thousands, it could have been sooner, but by the early 2000s, the film started to be heavily reevaluated by critics. Roger Ebert put it on like his great movies list, and a lot of others were hailing it as a great film. And um, the only other note to say is that when it was put out, it wasn't doing well initially. Paramount like re-released it without Wilder's input, renaming it The Big Carnival thinking oh we'll give it another name and maybe that'll work and it didn't that'll and trick so uh, yeah and so <laughs> later tv airings on turner classic movies and uh, like the criterion dvd release retained the original title of ace in the hole so it's possible um you know some people could have grown up watching on tv or something under the big carnival and then you know way way back could have seen it um you know on the big screen under that title but since like the 2000s or so it's reverted back to its original title. All right. So we will get going here. We've got uh, returning people again. We have our regular guest of uh, Jack here joining us to uh, talk about this uh, social and media satire. Greetings, Linton, and uh, suck it, Eric. Yeah. Yeah, Eric's not on Always this one. Always a good so, sentiment. So one point, <laughs> one point for Jack. She's only about 
78 behind shut or up, something. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut <laughs> up. No, it's 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 low double digits, I think, uh, is, is, is the gap. Um, all right, and, uh, and we also have joining us Tim, who uh, hasn't been on any of ours for a little while. Were you, were you on one of our, you're on our Halloween Vampire's Kiss, right? I did, Vampire's Kiss was the last one I yeah. did. Okay, so. I hate that movie fun. so much. Yeah. I hate it. <laughs> also, real, real quick correction, because we were talking about the ancient Indio, Indian site in the movie. Uh-huh. I threw out Aztec just because it came to mind. It's the Pueblo. They were the ones who built those kind of structures. Okay. Just so no one's no one writes in great yeah good Good send all your hate mail to tim for this and any other episode uh, (laughs) he's our fact checker so any issues should be directed tweet me at tim thinks things i don't care if you send me hate mail as long as you're following that's uh that's a good point follow us on Facebook, uh, look up Uncanny Cinema on Facebook. I often forget to talk about this. And look us up on Twitter. The uh, handle is at Cinema Uncanny, or you can just look up Uncanny Cinema and you'll see our logo and everything. Um, yeah, just uh, I don't do a lot on Facebook other than share the episodes, but on Twitter, I'll you know tweet out different things, film related things and whatnot. So uh, that's growing I think a little you bit mean over time. You don't do a lot on Meta. <laughs> It's still Boo. called Facebook, Tim. Boo. Meta's just the parent company. But Wait, we can't uh, boo them because then they will somehow shut this down. Yay. Yay, Meta. Yes. Well, so uh, going into our episode, to, speaking of media, social and media satire, uh, <laughs> we can, that's, a, that's a good jumping off point. What do we make of Ace in the Hole? Uh, this was my first time seeing this movie. Uh, and it was, I went in totally blank as I always do to the best of my ability. And it was so much darker than I anticipated. Uh, it starts off, it's a black and white movie and immediately I'm thinking, oh, okay. All right. If it's a black and white movie, it's going to be like at least somewhat lighthearted or, you know, it's going to be like, even in dramas, they're usually not quite as dark as this. Like this was extremely cynical for the time i was not at all shocked to read that it didn't do well because like this is the this is the level of cynicism that is acceptable now and everyone's just like yeah this is just how things are this is normal but for the 50s i'm sure they were like this is this is a travesty they burned the theater down how dare they i just want to go back to the the thought of oh it's black and white it must be lighthearted. listen you know like like (laughs) The genre of film noir, famous for being lighthearted. Or Schindler's List. No, no, no. Okay, but Schindler's List is, that's a cheating. That was cheating. Okay. But you know what I mean. You absolutely know what I mean. I, 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 don't, I, I disagree. I'm with Tim on this. I disagree with the idea that black and white is inherently like. Of course, I know dark. that. No, but, but no, I, I, but I think the era of film, the 1950, I think you're right that like, a lot of stuff from 40s and 50s isn't... There's hope still. There's like a yeah, level was, of hope that the, shows up. It was that, the era of Leave it to Beaver and Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. There's like at least this outlook on like, okay, but people are mostly good. Like there's a lot of that underlying even in, okay, German expressionism notwithstanding, that's whatever it is. But thinking even about a lot of film noirs and stuff, there's still, like, you like a lot of the characters, or at least some of them are at least gray. There's uh, maybe a bad guy. This movie, everybody sucks. They're all shit. Every character, except for 
the guy stuck in the well and his dad. Those are the, like, the only two good characters in this movie. Everyone else I is I like Kirk Douglas awful. to watch, though. I like Oh, that Kirk him. Douglas fellow is going places. Let me tell you. He's real good. Listen, it may be obvious from this whole thing that I'm saying that I don't watch a lot of black and white movies. As a child, I was vehemently against them. I hated them. I would not watch them. I threw a fit when my dad tried to make me watch, like, old movies. I don't know. I had this idea in my head that they were all stodgy and terrible. I would and have as... loved to. I would have loved to see just like the change in expression on young on young Jack watching Wizard of Oz for the first time. <laughs> ah, see, Tim, that's sepia. That's not black and white. Oh yeah, young young Jack would have really figured that out. Um, <laughs> just like just like from like just like oh, this movie sucks, and then immediately this is the best. Hooray, a movie that's <laughs> worth watching. Well, what I've learned as an adult is like I love good dialogue. I'm a yeah. sucker for good dialogue and uh, older movies didn't have that much else going on for them. So they really had to have really good dialogue. So as an adult now, I like a lot of black and white movies, but I haven't done the work to go back and really fill in all the gaps. I love film noir. I've watched a lot of film noir, but I had never heard of this ever. Never heard of it. Didn't know what to expect. And it starts off a little jovial. It starts off with, I mean, all right. What it really starts off with is some fun racisms. Great. That's like, it starts the, our main It is the 1950s, so uh, comes ma- with the territory. I guess. Main character's second line is him looking at uh, a person who is supposed to be a Native American character, and he says, how? And I'm like, cool. We love this guy. Is this our main character? Are we stuck with him? Can I pick someone else? <laughs> He's the protagonist. Uh, but basically, yes, very dark incredibly witty dialogue loved the dialogue i mean i ended up loving the movie it's and i think this movie is one of the things this podcast is really about i linton you kind of talked about that in your little intro but this really is a very underrated film that really more people should know this is an excellent film yeah i'll uh, i'll like well um i'll just comment quickly on that and let you go then tim um so, like i i brought up a face in the crowd and that was another one i i would say i'm not as opposed to older films as you are jack but i do I, I, not I will, no 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 I, but no i i mean i'm i'm, I'm trying to get we're holding you here. to account for your opinions <laughs> as a five-year-old no look look i understand what like steve and i who's been on the podcast steve kind of has a mindset of like oh older films kind of all suck and i I've, I've shown him some stuff where he's like oh wait shit like mm-hmm. he had never seen it's a wonderful life and mm. he always just assumed that like oh yeah it's just gonna be just like sappy bullshit and then he watched <laughs> it a few years ago and he was like man that movie's actually like pretty dark and really mm-hmm. good and i was like yeah it is and so like now granted i've watched tons of stuff on like that those afi lists they did like the top 100 cheers and top 100 romance movies they did all these different lists i went through like most of those our perception is not that far off there's a lot of stuff from like the 30s and 40s that is still hailed as like classics of cinema and you watch it and it's like it's boring it's not well (laughs) shot there are no characters you can latch on to there might be a cool idea to it but you're just kind of sitting there it's like all right i gotta watch this for two hours and there's nothing (laughs) enjoyable about it and i thank you i know that that can like make you sound like oh you don't care about art or you don't like care you know you're not open to this kind of stuff but I think, you know, some of it's like film was an early me- – like it was growing as a medium. Like mm-hmm. talkies didn't happen until the 30s. So they're still figuring out how to right. fucking make movies totally. in the 30s and for- how to just yeah. do it. 
And so some of that, there's just like growing pains of getting them to a better place. That said, I do find, you know, some things I'll go back and be just like kind of blown away by how good certain films are and how modern certain films feel. A Face in the Crowd, I talked about on that episode of how modern it feels. It just moves scene to scene. It just keeps escalating stuff. And while I don't think Ace in the Hole does it quite to the level of A Face in the Crowd, it's. I think I probably saw them in some close vicinity to each other. Uh, I think there's similarities there. And I think Ace in the Hole, as Jack said, has a cynicism to it that is just amazing that it was put out yes, in completely. the 50s. And there are a handful of movies like that that have some, some of that kind of cynicism of Face in the Crowds of the 50s and is very cynical as well. But it's a rarity when they happened. And so, so some of it's the thematic elements, but some of it's also just like quality filmmaking. And Billy Wilder obviously has been hailed as a, a master of filmmaking in his day and everything. And, you know, still. So, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. But, yeah, there, if, if you're listening to the podcast and you have similar kind of vibes of like, oh, I don't, I don't like old movies, you know, past a certain date. I get where you're coming from, but there are great things back there. I mean, for myself, I've looked at my own like Blu-ray collection and probably about late 60s forward, that's when stuff skyrockets for me. And some of that has to do with when like the Hayes Code was removed and now movies could be more adult and like delve into things and they didn't have to dance around everything. But that said, there's still great gems, you know, pre-1960s. Night of the Hunter. Yeah, that's always oh, we, one that I think. Oh, of where we it's will. Like, oh, I wow, showed you like, that I, one for the first time, Tim. Yeah, that, that's that's always one that sticks in my mind. Where it's like, wow, like I can't believe they did this at the time they did it. Yeah, um, yeah. I I'll let you go here, Tim. I'll just say we absolutely are doing Night of the Hunter at some point on the show. That has been planned uh, for yeah, a while. We will do that. Movie. So uh, we'll talk about that one. But Tim, go ahead. Your opening thoughts here. Yeah, so this is the second time I've watched Ace in a Hole, and I have also always linked Ace in the Hole with A Face in the Crowd, and and I'm pretty sure it's because I watched them in pretty close proximity. Because you, way back when I when back when we were getting Netflix movies in the mail, um, you had you had recommended them to me at some point, so I had them on my list, and um, so I I watched. Um, Facing the crowd and, and Ace in the Hole relatively close together, and they there is a lot of thematic overlap, and also just they are both older movies, like so it's easy to link them. I also think Face in the Crowd is probably the better of the two, um, but I still really like Ace in the Hole. Most of my issues that I have with it as a movie, I think, are just it just comes with the era it was made in like there are times where it feels really broad and kind of almost like caricature but like mm. it's 1951 that's just kind of how characters and things were written back then like so it's just okay what you talking There's... about kid this is a moving yeah. picture <laughs> it's a, like there are things where like, you kind of have to like divorce yourself and like from from what you you expect now and realize like oh yeah this is just this was just accepted back then that's how you did it um, and not uh, same thing, but not nearly as excusable. Just the very casual racism yeah. that happens in the movie. Um, it's like it sucks, but it's like it's 1951. That's that was just 
accepted because people sucked back then. Well, um, I, although I do think there are t- there, like there there is the casual racism, but there's also points in the movie where it feels like bringing the indigenous aspect to it was very i'm not sure how intentional it was but it felt very relevant to things that we see today where it's um and i don't know if we want to talk about it now but like he talks about like oh it's going to make it a better story like these ancient indian spirits have cursed this man and it like reminded me of like oh yeah like even today there's this element of you can sensationalize a story by othering Mm -hmm. this other group and making them feel almost supernatural um and i'm not i'm not sure how intentional that aspect was but it like watching it in 2022 i could definitely see those parallels and like there is while while there like there is like some of that casual racism where i'm not sure how much we're supposed to really um be against uh chuck when he goes like how and stuff like that because again that probably was pretty common back then it does feel like there is an attempt on the movie to criticize how quickly he's willing to just lean into that othering of the indigenous people to make a sensationalized story um so that was something that stuck out to me on the second on on the second viewing um the other big thing was just how unhinged chuck tatum is like Bro. from the get-go yeah first of all chuck tatum what a great name for a yes, character agreed. um <laughs> what, are, uh, what are the uh what's the um mystery science theater names in that one episode <laughs> chuck man rock slab beefcake bob johnson but yeah just like from from the beginning like kirk douglas is just like bug-eyed like like rah! and like uh, i had forgotten this like he gives that whole big speech in the newsroom before he even the, before the action really even starts mm-hmm. you know he gets the job um context a little bit he was Lytton mentioned he's down in his luck he was a journalist for like various big scene newspapers uh but he's a shitty person so he kept getting fired like there was a libel issue he was sleeping with the editor's wife or publisher's wife or something so he's like he's not a good person he's like slumming it in his mind in albuquerque um and so he gives this big rambling monologue (laughs) to this office full of people who have lived in albuquerque all their lives that essentially amounts to everything here sucks you suck my life in the city was so much better and everyone's just kind of like all everyone in the office is just like typing going about their day like all (laughs) smiles and i'm just sitting there like how many times have they heard this speech at this point? Because he makes the point of saying, like, it's a year to the day. I'm like, yeah. it's a year of this, and they haven't <laughs> murdered him. They're... Jack, you were talking about how there's no good people aside from Leo's dad. Everyone in the Albuquerque office That's is a, a hero in All my right. mind because they did that. not murder Tatum day two. I think, yeah. he's, though, I think he's supposed to be, though, like, he's supposed to be, you're, you're drawn to him. Because I think we're drawn to him watching him. I think he's he's interesting to watch. He's a storyteller. And so 
And and I'll say like, I mean, it's a little different from what you're saying, Tim. He's not saying, oh, Albuquerque sucks. He's saying like, well, these are all the things I miss about New York. He's saying like, there's no Yogi Berra. There's no this or that. It's like, so basically it's like, he's talking about the big city and he's razzmatazz. That's what he is as a person. So I think that's, you're right that like, yeah, maybe a year in these people would be like, oh, okay, Chuck. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I got a column here, buddy, trying to finish this up. But I think there's that sort of, it's kind of that, like that Gatsby thing of he's not like a good guy, but he, you're drawn to it's him. He's engaging. It. Yeah. Um, and I, I already kind of said enough of like, I, I'm not going to go um, and like talk like my opening thing because I already covered, I think enough of it, but one thing, and I'll just put it to both of you because I may have missed some stuff, but I'm wondering, so like you're talking about like the racism aspect, is it ever put in anyone that we're supposed to think is good though? And I know you already said, Jack, there's, we're very limited on who that is, but, but the couple things I'll say is like anything Chuck Tatum says, we know he's not really a very good character and by the end, like as a, as a man, and by the end he's even worse than where he starts. Early on, one of the cops... They, uh, the guy's yeah. trapped in a in the cave, and this cop who's not like the actual sheriff, but he's you know a deputy or something, is like the the guy's son wants or the the guy's father wants to go in to help him, and the cop's like no no no, no. I, I'm in control here. We can't have somebody else get stuck in there, and then he says oh, put in one of the Indians, and it's just, it's very dismissive, and I don't think yeah. the movie is putting that. I don't think we watching it in the 50s or now are supposed to think yeah fuck them because there were progressive people in hollywood that disagreed with racism and i will say that billy wilder himself was jewish so that could play a role in some of his views on this and the other thing i'll throw out there is isn't the guy's mother supposed to be native when she's like praying and things isn't there like native Elements. I don't think they make it objectively clear one way or the other. She yeah. never but she's really not speaks. a negative character. No, like she's, she's not. She's, she's a not silent like... watching character more than anything. No, I, yeah, she's not given a whole lot to do, but she also, when all these other characters are exploiting the situation and are clearly being objectively awful, she's shown as like devoutly religious. And then sure. the, the one white lady who's the guy's wife, like just like, Oh, we got people out here. You need to start flipping hamburgers, mom. Like she orders her around. So I, yeah. I, I'm wondering if some of it is intended, you know, maybe it's not deftly done, but, uh, well, but I, I, I could have forgotten something. Here's the thing. I have thought about that. I've thought about that exact thing because yeah, Chuck starts out going, he says how, but then he stands up for in that moment when that policeman is like, Oh, who cares about these natives that are just standing here? Let's put them in. Uh, he's like, no, uh, and I get that, but there's also kind of this overarching, like, is wait, there... Wait, wait, I didn't think he stood up for him. I thought he just wanted to go in because he knew it was an yeah, opportunity. Yeah, it was, it was more he wanted to go in and he wanted he wanted to position himself as the alpha over the deputy. Totally. Agreed. No, well, Absolutely. No, well, well, possibly over the deputy, but I think he knew this is a story opportunity. He wanted yes. to get in there. The second he gets in, it becomes his thing. But it was, so. my point is, it was not painted as, well, that's a good point. They are just totally useless. We could use them, but I'd rather go in. It was like a, a moment of very clear that that was not cool. And I don't think Chuck was like on okay. board with that attitude. But you're right. He did not specifically be like, well, that's not, that's racist, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this kind of over- overarching thing. I think there's one uh, native character that has a line. 
the whole time. So, and they are often, uh, I think, one of the few times that you see Native people, they are just standing silently. Like, that cuts to them staring at the white people talking, and then it cuts back. Like, there's there's no real good representation. They're still kind of used as, like, setting. backdrop setting, and it's like, okay, racism's bad, but there's no real... It's still white people telling the story, white people taking over, white people... Like, that's... Right, I, 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 agree, I agree who... with you on that, but I would say that, I mean, I'll try to frame this as best I can, that might be expecting too much of the era. Like that, well, yeah, that, it, that's it wanting, rep, that's, well, that's wanting representation that, or that's wanting agency for these characters when people of color were barely even given roles in films. And so and I'm in not fact, saying the I'm one native saying, character who has a line is not actually native. He's Italian. So, right. I, I was going to touch on that coming up, but yeah. So I, I would just say like, yeah, I mean, Hollywood had a ways to go at the time, still does all that kind of jazz. But I, I just think that the movie at the time may have even been attempting things that, at the time, for people who would actually critique it and analyze it, may have viewed it as being fairly progressive. We look at it and say, oh, this seems antiquated because if a movie came out like this now, we would say, you're not doing enough with the natives. The natives aren't driving the story. The natives aren't serving any kind of important role. I would say even just putting racism in the mouths of bad characters that we know are bad um, is more than most older movies would do. They would put the racism in the mouths you. of of the good guys. Yeah, it, yeah, I mean, you could say it's progressive for the time, but like the you asked, like if there's like a good character that does, like I would, Leo is the one who that's that's the guy who gets in the cave. In yeah, yeah. Leo the, Leo is the man who is stuck in the cave, um, who got trapped. He is the one who brings up the idea of being cursed by, you know, yes. Indian spirits. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and, and he's that's... stealing from them. He's stealing yeah. their ancient pottery. So, like, and, and, and he, like, and he, and you, you know, I mean, he's remorseful of it, but also it's only because he is about to die. Um, and he's stuck. But, like, yeah, so he's, he, he is stealing their, um, their culture, their their yes. history, their Thank objects, you. and then when he is stuck, when Chuck first meets him, Leo is the one who brings up the being cursed by mm-hmm. by the the indigenous tribes and everything, and then you know Chuck that that sends the light bulbs and Chuck runs with it yeah. and does like terrible things, but even that is kind of like Leo is will like because they are and an outgroup like exotic different whatever you want to say he's willing to jump to that because they are a quote other so like that's and again like you said are we expecting a lot for 1951 certainly it was 1951 but it's (laughs) still worth mentioning there was but but yeah if if you're but we're not watching in 1951 we're watching it and talking about in Mm -hmm. 2022 so it is worth it's worth mentioning the things that they it's 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 worth praising them for the good things that they're doing because there actually is a lot of that but we should but we should we we shouldn't necessarily ignore the aspects that weren't as deftly done by today's standards just because we're all listening and talking about it today and that's fine i just feel like the conversation was starting was probably going to end with this movie's fucking racist y'all and i was there well no i i mean i feel like that's what's kind of being being put Mm. out and i just wanted to say like well i think for the time they were probably being forward thinking 
but they are not where we are today. And I think that's just, there's just a nuance to it that is worth going into. All right. But beyond that, where else do we want to go? I do just want to kind of with why, like my thinking that Kirk Douglas is just kind of unhinged from the get go, that like monologue he gives in the office. And again, this is, this is one of those things where it kind of bothered me watching it now, but also like 1951, this is just what they did. It was very clear that they were playing up the whole, like, city versus rural divide which always annoys me when i see that today but again obviously different time and everything but they were like the thing that stuck out to me was he's giving his monologue about how much better the city is and he says like i don't need the outdoors just give me those eight spindly trees in front of rockefeller center and i was just like who thinks that like even like if you're living in a city and then i just really wanted him to like i really wanted them to just full-on lean into it and just like and the smog oh god i miss the smog <laughs> and how dirty the air is when you breathe it the crime i'm mugging on every block oh god i miss he did, it like he did talk about the <laughs> smell of the subway though he it was, addressed that oh you're right he did but it was it was just like it was just like you're like at that point i was kind of like you're not a real person <laughs> You are, like, it really, and again, I know, 1951, different time, but, like, watching it now, I was like, you are the caricature Republicans use (laughs) to try to scare white people. (laughs) (laughs) But it it just, I I found it, and I think it works for what the movie is doing, because I think the movie is best... It is a satire, and I think it's you can kind of almost view it almost like as an allegory. Like everything is meant to be like bigger and broader and bolder mm-hmm. than what you would see in reality, because it's everything is meant to underline a point like three times. Um, and and that's what the movie's trying to do. And I so like I, I say like it caught me off guard just how unhinged he was from the beginning. But that being said, I think that works with what the movie is doing it's well uh, he ends that speech though you're talking about like how he's like talking about all this razzmatazz and how great new york is the end of that speech is pretty powerful though for the time or even now his last statement is worst of all no 80th floor to jump from when you feel <laughs> like it right and he's saying that because he hates where he is he does not want to be in albuquerque but it ends with like the desire for suicide now the he's option still, the option yeah, yeah. you know i mean he's still saying it in like a very the, flippant I'm, kind of crazy way it's but freedom it's still it's, it's pretty dark um it is. for a movie from the 50s yeah i mean his whole performance though is excellent like beginning to end he's really great and again with me being behind on seeing black and white movies i haven't really seen him in much like everyone's gonna yell at me i don't think i've even seen spartacus you know i've seen the scene from spartacus Mm. in which all are spartacus but spartacus yeah my apologies um so he this is kind of my first real sitting down actually analyzing paying attention i was like oh he's very good he's an excellent excellent actor and his performance uh, unhinged as you say tim but still well acted not unhinged like mm-hmm. uh freaking nick cage and vampire's kiss which is abysmal and terrible uh it's 
he's very uh he's unhinged has a purpose which i guess is a little more terrifying a little more uh, the edge that he brings while you still he's still witty he's still like knows what he's doing at every step of the way it's it doesn't start off this way but as it goes on and as he kind of gains more power and the story becomes bigger it's like that unhingedness kind of opens and grows and it's like it flowers it's like oh yeah that's been there this whole time oh there it is it's really come to fruition and i think you're talking about this speech in the beginning i think that's part of why i didn't expect it to get so dark because it is a fair like there's nothing in the first 20 minutes of the movie well maybe that's too much 10 minutes of the movie that makes it like this is gonna go some places everybody get ready it's kind of this guy comes in and he's from the city and he has this really witty conversation it's gonna be doc hollywood no you're right it's like it's 20 minutes because i remember because i i i I started trying to rewatch it later than i should have so i like i I had to stop it because i was starting to fall asleep Uh it takes it's it's he doesn't actually get to leo in the cave until about the 25 minute mark it's a long time it's a long intro and i just didn't know where this movie was going and so a lot of it in the beginning is just fun witty banter and i'm like okay cool i can get on this and then it just gets darker and darker and darker and darker it's like oh oh it's this kind of movie okay that is one thing i think the movie does do very very well like well one like you can you can summarize the plot really really quickly um because they're like in terms of plot there really is not much there yeah reporter goes is on a road trip he stumbles across a man trapped in a cave and then basically engineers a prolonged story yeah and his actions directly lead to the man's death because he is trying to prolong Yeah. yeah spoiler um that's that's where the movie goes like yeah. th- so like it's very succinct and it feels like at nearly two hours like the movie has a lot of filler but it really doesn't yeah because like you said it gets darker and darker and i think the movie does a very good job of almost being a like a slow burner where it yeah. just slowly peels back and you start seeing just how like how shitty of a person tatum is and how how far he's willing to go to Mm -hmm. to get this story and to to refurbish his reputation until until it goes too far and then like finally the movie gets the movie gets to a place where it's too dark even for him and yep. it breaks him, but even then, it doesn't really break him in a good way. Like yeah. it doesn't break him in a way that really redeems him. It just breaks him. <laughs> yeah, he does a few redemptiony things, but with the obviously with the attitude of this won't actually fix anything that I've mm-hmm. done. So let's let's dig in on his character. Um, yeah. Like one of my notes was that he's a darkly cynical, and so I have a lot of like lines. So we can talk about like him as a character. And him, uh, and any good lines that we want to throw out there. But one thing I want to say, because since uh, a few minutes ago, Jack, you were talking about Kirk Douglas, just him as a performer. Yeah. So I actually, I haven't seen him in tons. I've seen him in a handful of things. I've seen Spartacus. I've seen you know, a number of other movies he's done. I think this is the only movie he's in that I own, though. Mm. Um, but I, one thing that I think is really impressive in this movie in particular, and I think in kind of any role he played from what I know of him is like 
he's just such an embodiment of like masculinity and manhood. Yeah. Like he's very, he's not like a big dumb lunkhead. Like he's clearly like a sharp, smart guy, like as a person and it comes through in his performance. But like, I know as an actor, he was just always like barrel chested and thin waist. <laughs> yeah. And he just like, is this force in any, so it's kind of similar to almost like Charlton Heston, but he has yes. just, just this build that's different than Heston He's just thicker, and so he's like any scene he's in, he just commands it. It's this totally. sort of just like, you know, I mean, there's great actors who are like small guys and stuff too that can do that, but like his physicality is so much of what makes him who he is on screen. Yeah, agreed. And uh, and yeah, so he uses it incredibly well. And and I'm rewatching this movie. It makes me wonder, like, oh, I should probably track down some of the other stuff he did just to see like even if i don't love the movie just to watch some of his performances yeah but yeah so tatum specifically though um i've got a number of lines i'm not gonna do them all here i want us to kind of bounce around but um a couple things so bad news sells best he says that early on so he has that kind of view and even before the cave-in thing happens tim and i were talking before the show started he even daydreams a scenario. So basically what he's doing, he and this uh, <laughs> photographer, they've been given a nothing assignment. It's basically, you know, like in uh, Anchorman where Veronica Corningstone has to like go like videotape the like puppy bowl or whatever they make her go do. Well, um, I would say it's not a nothing assignment because it's like d- like they it's a rattlesnake festival where they're it's basically like whacking day in the simpsons yes is the thank way they you i was totally it. thinking well, i don't think they were day. i didn't think they were gonna kill them were they yeah i thought i i think they did mention Absolutely. that they're gonna like bash okay. it because yeah. i immediately thought like i immediately thought of whacking day yep completely all right well, Me too. regardless he views it as it's like a bunch of like, on its own. Own. <laughs> like yeah but he as like a new yorker views it as like hokum bullshit sure. that he has to yeah. deal with so he has to go to this like rattlesnake festival or whatever and on the car ride there, he starts just daydreaming a scenario where 50 rattlesnakes get set yeah. loose and that they would, like, go all over the town and the town would go crazy and it could become this big story. He's just, like, spitballing. And then he says, you know, and so out of the 50, 49 are found and killed and there's one left. Where is it? In a preschool? In a church? He starts, like, just, like, naming shit and then he's like, no, I'll tell you where it is. It's in my desk drawer, safe and hidden away for the next few days. And he talks about how, like, he could turn this into, like, the town's in a panic of that there's still yep. a rattlesnake out there. And then the the newspaper could be the hero because, oh, we finally caught it and we killed it. And so the newspaper would be hailed and they'd sell a billion papers and all that kind of stuff. He just spins this as just a daydream for, like, how he could you know, make this, you know, basically make news happen yep. um, in, in a way. And the photographer is sort of horrified. He's a young kid <laughs> and he's kind of like, what you talking about, mister? <laughs> like, like that kind of <laughs> attitude. Um, and he's like, oh, it's nothing, kid. Um, and then, you know, this opportunity falls in his lap and we basically watch what he described over the course of the next hour and a half. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's just a cynicism um, so I want to just talk just those moments. What popped out at us? Uh, I'll throw out one right off the top of the bat here. He's talking with the local sheriff who ends up being a sleazeball himself. And Tatum is trying to stretch out all of this. And we can talk about specifically what he does coming up. But he's trying to stretch out all of it. He's trying to get the, 
the sheriff to be on his side, basically like, hey, go along with me. I can write a bunch of stories. I'll help you get elected because I'll make you the hero, the, the sheriff who saved the day. And the sheriff's like, yeah, okay, sure. Um, but like during their conversation, Tatum's not even like angry. He's just showing like his like ability to just not give a fuck and to yep. just like control the situation. He drops a cigarette in the sheriff's water glass. <laughs> Like just as kind of like a swinging dick moment, like you know, like I'm contr- I'm controlling this conversation, sheriff. Later, he just like fucking punches the sheriff across sure the room. Does. Yep. I did. I did. I that did strike me. I, that stood out to me because I was just kind of like, because not only does he strike him, like the sheriff does nothing in retaliation. Oh, because like he knows sheriff, he's not going to take sh- down Kirk Douglas. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, but like, like, yeah, it, it it struck me as the the sheriff just basically takes it, um, which just really illustrates how skewed that power dynamic ended up being. I do think, kind of going along back with like the the, the rattlesnake daydream and everything, I do think it's great because there's that. And when he's basically begging for a job in Albuquerque at the very beginning of the movie, he makes a comment about like if there and if there are no stories, I'll go out and bite a dog. So yeah. like I love so that you, line. So you you have that you have his rattlesnake daydream, and then when they get to the place in New Mexico where Leo is stuck in the cave, I don't remember who he says it to. I don't remember if it was the wife or maybe like the other policeman or something, but he makes a comment about like, I don't create the news. I just write about it. And yes. it's just, and it's great because you it's such liar. a great contrast. Cause it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You are a fucking liar. Yes. And, the, and it's, as it's the audience photographer. Yeah. Or the photographer. Yeah, yeah. Like he says that line and just like, it is, the movie is making it very obvious how much of a liar he is in that yep. moment. Yeah. Completely. Uh, on the rattlesnake thing real quick, that remains kind of a theme actually throughout the movie. Theme maybe is a strong word, but after the rattlesnake thing, the sheriff comes and meets Tatum, like you were saying, and the sheriff brings a baby rattlesnake with him. So kind of throughout the movie, the sheriff has this baby rattlesnake in a box, uh, and it's just kind of always with him. And there's kind of this underlying thing of how... It's hard to put into words exactly because I haven't thought through it much, but it was like what I wrote down is everyone involved in this kind of conspiracy is a snake. Like they're all manipulative snakes. And it's like to tie the sheriff to that the whole time is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of like the overtness of it of like, yes, his like chosen thing is like he has this snake that he doesn't even know how to take care of. He's just kind of real terrible with the snake. It's just like, I tried feeding it meat and all these other things. You know what it eats? Bubblegum. Bubblegum, like... still in the wrapper. <laughs> Gotta keep note... the silver foil on it. Like... Right, I guess. And a side note uh, is on IMDb, uh, there's the goofs section. And they said, uh, rattlesnakes don't actually eat gum in a wrapper. It's like, cool, thanks, IMDb. Great. Very useful. <laughs> Because we all thought that was real. Yeah, that that's the big problem. That remind that that's like when uh, like a couple months ago, like scientists were like, actually, with the way the gauntlet is set up, Thanos would not have been able to snap his fingers. Like, <laughs> thank cool, you, thanks. thank, thank you, science. You. That's great. Was that was Tyson. That was where that was where my my believability got yeah, shattered. Yeah, absolutely, totally. I thought it was super realistic up until that moment. Like, oh, snakes don't eat bubble gum. Pull the other one. <laughs> But what if we're talking about Tatum 
and kind of his character and character moments, I really want to bring up the relationship between him and Leo's wife, mm-hmm. uh, whose yes. name I suddenly can't remember. Jan, right? Or is that uh, the actress's name? The actress is Jan Sterling. Lorraine is That's Lorraine it, Lorraine. Thank you. Yes. So him and Lorraine, it is so, ooh, ooh, there's a lot to it. I think this yeah. is... One That's the, the very film noir part. I, feel, I was just like, going to say that. That sentence prominent. was on the way out of my mouth. Yes, their relationship is where that really comes in. Well, the in. implant I put in your brain is working. <laughs> yeah, great. Good. More men controlling my life. So good. I need that. Um Oh, I wasn't controlling. I just, you know, I, I was stealing your thoughts. That's, oh, that's, that's even that's, better. That makes more sense. I buy that. Says, <laughs> What's that, right. Tim? So that's, what the, that's what the patriarchy wants you to think. So Lorraine, uh, basically, she and Leo, Leo do not have a great marriage. Like, Leo's really into her, and she's like, this sucks. I hate this small town. This blows. I'm out of here. So it starts off when he first gets stuck. She is about to run off like she's about to be like cool he's stuck in there time for me to go peace uh and in part of the manipulation of the story chuck is like no 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 you stay here you play the part of the grieving widow because this is about to be a media circus and she eventually believes him and goes with it it's this interesting moment she's standing there ready to get on the bus and leave her husband who is stuck in, in the mine. I almost said stuck in a well because I do also keep thinking of the Simpsons episode with the kids stuck down in the well. Which well, not this really. helped to inspire. I figured it did. I Yeah. Anyway, coming back to that. So there's this moment where she's standing out by the bus stop with her bag. Uh, and Chuck has just told her, like, hey, you can go. But if you stay, we are going to make so much money. You're not even going to believe it. And the bus comes up pauses and then pulls away and it's between the camera and her so you're not sure if when the bus pulls away if she's going to be there or not bus pulls away she is turned around and walking back to the shop that she and her husband own where chuck is just staring at her out the window like i knew you i knew you'd oh, fall I for it i knew you'd do it he's and it's this moment of oh it's so fascinating one of the reasons i think this is a great movie because it's painted as this moment of she is being sucked in. She's doing a bad thing. Oh, bad's not even the word for it. She is being tempted. That's what I'm working yeah. on. The temptation, again, with this whole snake and everything in the in the mix. But she is tempted and has agreed to buy into this temptation. As it, And it's clear that that's the negative choice. Like, okay, now she is part of this conspiracy. She is also not a good character. But it was like she was stuck between leaving her husband, who's in a terrible situation, and staying, but for the money. And it's it's this, it's still not good. She didn't choose between being a good person and being a bad person. She chose between being a bad person for one reason or being a bad person for another reason, which is really interesting, a very gray character choice yeah. for her. And he And he sees that in her. Yes. She, like when he walks into town, he doesn't know any, or not town, that's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. But when he meets these people, he doesn't know anyone. Yeah. So the father is absolutely like, we got to get my boy out of there. Like he's, he's exactly what you would think. Yeah. And he's the most sympathetic character of the film probably. But, yeah. um, but the wife, you start to pick up on even before she explicitly says it, that yeah, she's, she's not really, uh, it's like, all Does right, great, care. get him out of the cave, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, one thing on the wife, and I, I do want to circle back to some of the Tatum lines here, because there's 
too many good ones to. I'm not, not even address. done about the whole wife thing, but great. oh, okay, we'll, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah, there's, no, a, you, there's, no, a lot there's so much more. Oh yeah, no, if you have more, uh, there was just something specific I wanted to raise as a question, but if you have more to go with her, go ahead. Uh, I'll I'll hit them a little more quickly. Uh, huh, bad choice of words, Madison. Uh, so <laughs> she. I didn't put that one in your brain. You did not. No. So there is uh, as they're business partnership kind of continues everything he said comes to pass she is so busy she's selling making so much money every single day it's crazy and she's loves it she is into it uh and she is clearly um to an extent uh it gets her going a little bit she's like i love this i love that i'm making money and she has this conversation with chuck in a private room where she starts coming on to him. She starts being like, this is great. I love this. We're a great partnership. Uh, and s- tries to make a move on him. And he slaps the shit out of her. Two hard slaps to the face. Totally shocked her. Totally shocked me watching the movie. Yes. But he was like, basically, we are nothing. You are my tool in this story. And it's like, again, a very, very dark moment of like Kirk Douglas being a great actor and being like charming to an extent. And then you see these dark moments. You're like, Oh, right. Yes. You're awful. <laughs> Whoops. Well, so he they slaps her the, the full kind of like, Hey, well, hang on. Tim. Uh, the full kind of thing of that moment. Cause that was one that I jotted down was, so she's smart. She's grinning ear to ear because yes. they're like making hand over fist money outside. So she comes back in this private room with him and he tells her to stop because he knows you can't be doing this. Like all these people, expect you to be you know feel horrible the grieving widow yeah the grieving widow and he's supposed to use that kind of language he tells her to stop doing it she says in like this kind of coy you know way of like make me and that's when he slaps her twice which is still very shocking but that scene plays like somewhat differently where she's like trying to use it as like a come on yes and you know and so he he calls her on it like all right i will so he slaps her and he says uh don't wipe those tears that's the way you're supposed to look put on your wedding ring and he just like commands her and it's like one of the darkest moments he has in the whole movie um and it's just a really powerful scene agreed very much it's very shocking uh and then later he also tries to choke her to death Again, kind of using Leo against her in that same way with the wedding ring. And he's like, no, you need to be in the you need to be in this box. You need to be his wife. And towards the end of the movie, when he's very actually feeling guilt or rather letting the guilt get to him, because it's clear he feels a little bit of guilt throughout most of the movie. But at this point, it's clear Leo's going to die. And he is feeling real bad about it and leo said i I got her this present i just wish i could see her wear it and he tells her he tells chuck where it is chuck goes and gets it makes her put it on it's this like real not good looking uh stole like this fur um Mm. scarf thing and it is it's not great and she hates it she's like this is hideous i'm not wearing this and he's like you wear it and he puts it on her it makes her wear it she keeps her and take it off he yells at her and then starts choking her with it and it's crazy it's it's like and he's basically taking all of his anger and all the guilt and everything that he feels and putting it out onto her and just being like you have to be this because i ruined leo so you have to respect his last request and they're fighting and he's choking her and she's dying 
she comes close to it and then she stabs him with some scissors and that's the only thing that makes him stop and which kind of leads to the rest of the movie the, the last i don't know 10 15 20 minutes of the movie is him be, is because he got stabbed i do think it's is he does he does weaponize leo against her and i think at the end with that that fur or whatever it was is like a really good visual representation of it i also think it's i also think it's kind of interesting that she is probably the only character that like i guess wins in the end like to kind of jump ahead to the kind of jump ahead to the end a little bit so uh, the leo dies in the cave because of the way tatum has prolonged the situation um he he convinces um the engineers and everyone to drill from the top down to get him up because through a mountain yeah through the mountain specifically because he knows it will take longer to do it that way and he can string this out for i think it's five days right five or six days that he'll be stuck in there to do it that way yeah um so because of that um leo ends up dying in the cave from uh influenza basically because he's been stuck there for for five six days um the guilt gets to tatum and he starts to take it out on uh the wife because she doesn't want to wear the the furs she wants to get out of there as he's and actually this might be a little bit before he uh leo dies but he starts choking uh the wife with the the um Luann, is that what you said her name was? I want to give Lorraine. 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 He starts choking Lorraine, choking Lorraine with the fur, and she stabs him in the side with mm-hmm. scissors. And it doesn't kill Tatum right away, but like he's bleeding out. He brings a priest over. Mm-hmm. He ends up dying at the very end of the movie. Leo ends up dying in the cave. Mm-hmm. Like the one of the last shots of the movie, which I think is great is everyone has packed up and left and the father is just standing in the open area by himself because everyone got what they wanted and left so he is now left with his grief alone Mm -hmm. but Lorraine she gets to go away like she wanted to in the first place and she Mm -hmm. has money now because they made all the money from everyone joining the circus you know that that tatum had created so like of all the characters she's the only one that gets something that you could classify as any kind of a happy ending and i don't yeah happy for her yeah and i don't i was trying to think i don't have like any any anything to really say about that like i haven't like thought i've been i've thought about it but i haven't like come up with like what if there's any point that the movie is trying to make with that i just thought it was really interesting that she is the only character that really walked away getting what she wanted i think if you look at the film language of it though it might be a little more complex because she doesn't like get a quip and walk away like you know now i'm off to chicago that's true she doesn't she doesn't like show anything as a victory the last thing we see of her is everything's pulling away and earlier she could have gotten on that bus as jack mentioned and she didn't so she tries to get on a bus that's there and she misses it it keeps driving so she's unable to get on the bus she's carrying a suitcase there are cars pulling out and the last shot we have of her is sort of like she's kind of ambling between cars like she's looking for someone who would be willing to give her a ride somewhere so 
while yeah, she's leaving and she has money and she's finally free of like the husband she doesn't love, I feel like the last shot we have of her is sort of like her looking for the next thing. Like and she's still where's, where's yeah, where's my mm. life now? We don't get her face, we see her from a distance, but yeah, it, it doesn't seem like a climactic like moment where she's like in control and powerful. Yeah, adrift would be a good way to put it. The one question I had was, did they actually sleep together? Because this is an old movie, and old movies don't have sex scenes, but what they do is they have implied shit that for adults who are looking for it and adults who are used to watching old movies and this kind of stuff are like, oh, I know what this is about. Because there's two parts that I felt like were very old movie sex references. Mm -hmm. The first is... When she tell is telling off Tatum at the beginning of like why she wants out of there and she does like basically she doesn't love this guy and you know he he married her and he he told her like oh he's got this business with all these acres and then she's out in the middle of nowhere and it's like she thinks it's terrible and he like kind of tries to defend the guy he's like well he married you didn't he he put you up he uh he brought you out here I don't know he he pushes like certain like positives or something and she goes. Yeah, and I thanked him for it. Thanked him plenty. Five years. And I'm like, that's fucking, right? 1951, that's <laughs> what she's saying there, right? That, I mean, the way she delivers that line, because a lot of old dialogue, they couldn't be explicit. They couldn't mm -hmm. use swear words, and they couldn't talk about shit because of the Hayes Code. The way that lady delivers that line does not seem to me of like, oh, I told him thanks on several occasions. Right. Yes. So totally that, was agreed. The, that was the first one. And then the other one was it's before he strangles her and after he slaps her. I can't remember the exact scenario, but somewhere in there he's angry with her in a room and he like grabs her from the back of the head. And then the scene cuts and it seems like there's like a like a sexuality going on, like that they might like have rough sex or something because she is still drawn to him. And the one I'm thinking of is, this is kind of a famous one. I remember it being talked about in a film class once, Double Indemnity, which Billy Wilder also directed. There's a famous cut in Double Indemnity because in James M. Cain's books, which Double Indemnity is one of his books, they were books, so they could talk about sex, and they did. <laughs> but when they translate them to film, they couldn't at the time. They couldn't have sex scenes. They couldn't directly address that. So there's an affair between the shady character in Double Indemnity and the housewife. And that's kind of central to their plot and like how it unfolds. So you have to show, oh, well, they're sleeping together. But you can't do that in 1948 or whenever it came out. So Billy Wilder is like, okay, well, fuck. Well, what do I do? So there's like a famous cut in Double Indemnity where they're sitting on a couch. Like the husband's gone and they're sitting on a couch like having drinks or whatever and talking. And then it like dissolves and goes to black. And when it comes back up, they're on opposite sides of the couch and their clothes are slightly disheveled. <laughs> and so that's like, yeah, okay, that's what happened there. And like, it's enough to get it past the Hayes Code. So that makes me wonder if that's kind of what he's trying to do with the Kirk Douglas moment, like whether they actually did like consummate the affair. Because um, it seems like it's, it's, it's hanging out there. He seems to be interested in her just as worried about what it would do to the story if it got out i think yes that was the same impression that i got in okay. the scene where uh they have another scene together later where they're talking 
Uh, and what I wrote in my notes was, why does she still like him? He slapped her. So it's clear that there's still like something that she's drawn to there. And then he does grab her hair in a fistful and the camera swings around behind. So we're just looking at the back of her head with his yeah. hand. Almost like they're about to make out. Yes, I assumed they were. I was like, I assumed they're just like swapping spit right now, but we're not allowed to see it because it's old times. Yeah. Um, well, it was, and but, it was he, he had, I, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but like right before he grabs the back for it, he, like there's this really weird line where he makes reference to her bleaching her hair. The yes. line is, when they bleached your hair, they must have bleached your brains, too. Yeah, and yeah. it was it was just, like, a really, like... He, like, he says that, and then he grabs it, and, like like Jack said, the camera swings around, and I'm just like, that's weird. This is yes. toxic and bad. Extremely toxic. <laughs> yes. All bad. But, yeah, I think they... I, that's what that is implying to me, as well, in yeah. that moment. That he's finally like, hey, the power... I have the power here. His... I think before when he first spurned her advances, it hadn't fully taken hold in the way that he wanted to yet. Um, I think because his whole goal for this was to manipulate it back into a job for him in New York. He wanted to get back to the big city with a big job. And I don't think that had been as assured at that point. And I think my guess is at this point, he felt more in control, more in power, like things were going his way. And so then he is like, all right, now we can do the thing because this story is strong now. I've got the control. And in the scene later where he ends up strangling her when she doesn't want to, like, he wants to give her the, you said a stole, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he wants to give her that because that's what the guy wants. He got it for, like, their five-year anniversary. And mm-hmm. she hates it. And he's like, you're going to wear it because mm-hmm. she that he, he wants it to be done because he thinks he basically kind of owes that guy that. But also... Mm-hmm then it can be part of the story too that she's wearing this for their anniversary or whatever but mm-hmm. before she knows any of that he te- he he takes it out or I, yeah i think he like gets he gets in their closet and takes out the stuff where the guy told him and it's a big present and she's kind of like a present for me like she thinks like he stashed it there so yeah. like this would be after the like grabbing the hair so like i think there's sort of this you know like it that like connection between them is still going on that appears yes. to be more than just a business relationship I would oh say. yeah for sure and she's like maybe i'll go to new york and i'll see you there the Ugh. other thing we haven't addressed uh with some of this is so she actually starts charging people pretty early on to come view like everything that's happening nobody can really see much because like everything's within the cave and this is even before they start drilling and things but she starts charging people, even reporters, to come through at like twenty-five cents. I wouldn't be surprised if she starts upping it, and we just don't know that later. But she did. You watch it; it goes from twenty-five to fifty. It, 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 oh, it, it ends that. in a dollar because there's a shot oh, yeah. there like a at sign the very or end. Yep. Yeah, there's a, there's, there's oh, a shot. There's a shot at the end as everyone's leaving. Someone walks by. There's like a little like donation box set up mm-hmm. with like for like. Um, the the leo whatever the last name is rescue fund and it, it says a dollar on the side okay yep yeah so she so she starts charging she's charging everyone and then um so it becomes kind of you know with a title that they use like the big carnival so it becomes this kind of carnival like atmosphere and just like people are literally like taking their families there and setting up camp you've got all these reporters from all over the country that are going there it's sort of like if anyone remembers this i mean we would have all been like kind of kids but if 
probably have heard of it or anyone older, the baby Jessica stuff. Like that's mm-hmm. what this is playing out as of like this huge event that the country is focused on and is taking place over a number of days. It's actually based on a couple things I can talk about coming up, but um, but literally at some point, a carnival wants to set yep. up because there are so many people there that like a nearby carnival realizes, hey, this is an opportunity for us. So she okays it. The guy's father is very bothered by that happening because at this point we already have like hundreds of people and now we have like literal carnival rides. A carnival Ferris music is playing in. in the background yep. during like so many scenes in the last like third of the movie. And so it gives this real dark counterbalance to, I mean, it's a light thing, but it's, yeah. it makes it super dark for yeah. what is actually going on. And, you know, people are getting cotton candy and shit and people are mm-hmm. taking their kids on rides. And meanwhile, this guy's in the cave who's like, nobody knows exactly what's going on in there, but they got to know he's at least uncomfortable, potentially dying. And on this rewatch, I was thinking about like, he's just constantly shitting his pants. <laughs> Because he has to be. He's his lower half is trapped. I know. He yeah, can't I've move. definitely thought about that. I did not even it didn't occur to me the first time, but like See, so I just actually in his own waist for like a yes. week. Yes. I actually um, did not think about that at all because I the am movie not, doesn't. I am not like the a first middle time, school child. The first thing what the I think fuck of are you every talking time? about Tim that's just biological <laughs> functions. The movie was, doesn't talk about it because it's nineteen fifty one, but like on a rewatch I was like, Oh wait, uh-huh. he can't move at all. Like yep. he's trapped there. Yeah. I was um, thinking about the themes the movie was presenting. Um, oh, no, sure. Ooh, but no, the, the 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 carnival stuff. Like, because there's there's there again with the with Leo's father. There's a great shot where he is up on top of the mountain, bringing lunch to the people who are actually trying to yes. help get his uh, son out. Yes. And he looks out over, and like you can see the mass of people and the fucking Ferris wheel and. Uh, like I think they had like a, an equivalent to like a scrambler as well, like all this stuff out there. So you yeah. like it, you see that like overview shot, and then it cuts to a close up of his face looking yeah. out, and you can just see the like depression basically yes. because yeah. he like he he sees all this and he knows that all of these people here, none of them actually care about his son. Yeah. Absolutely, um, and it and it does and it adds to the darkness, especially once you get to the end of the movie. And you know how it ends because you have that. It's not just like oh, all this light fun stuff is going on as someone is laying in a, in a cave dying. We know that Tatum has essentially orchestrated this man's death, and right outside, everyone is celebrating. Yes. They don't know what they're celebrating, but it's yeah. still a celebration of the orchestration of a man's death solely so that the masses can be entertained. Yeah. That's the only reason Leo dies in this movie is because Tatum yes. wants a story to present to his audience and yep. he wants to give them that human interest story and draw them in. Yep. And then... And and I think the most cyn- the the most cynical part of the movie, um, is that Tatum is proven correct. Like the mm. fact that there's a mm. carnival You're happening right. outside the cave, lends credence to all of Tatum's cynicism and all of his worst impulses. Like it it, it basically proves him right. And and I think that's part of too what like breaks him in the end, um, is 
he has the guilt of Leo is is dead because he has convinced everyone to go the slow way around. Um, and on top of that, he has gotten everything he wanted or thought, you know, said he wanted. He Everyone is eating the story up. The masses have flocked to here. They want to know what happens. They want that ending. They want that happy ending because he, he says at one point, human interest stories need a human interest ending. So he gets all these people here and then, and I wonder too, if this is part of why he breaks, if it's not even, if it's, I mean, I'm sure there's guilt as well, but also he can't give them the ending anymore. When Leo dies, his ending is gone. He has failed. So he has not only killed a man, he has killed a man for a purpose he was not able to fulfill. His ending, his initial ending has failed, but he does give up a possible ending he because does. he's so like kind of bothered by what's happened that he stands on top of a mountain like in almost kind of a religious sort of way and yells at everyone he's dead go away essentially it's over and that pisses off the newspaper he's been working with and they they like he was he had a job lined up and he mm-hmm. was going to get this job and they in say New York. yeah they say you you yeah. gave it up you gave it up. You knew, like, he had an exclusive. He's the, been the only one who's been allowed inside because of the sheriff that he made the deal with. So no other newspaper men have been allowed inside. He knew the guy was dead. He said it was 15 minutes ago. Nobody else knows. He could have kept the sheriff and anyone else quiet. He could mm-hmm. have gone and written his story, gotten it to New York. Yeah, the guy dies, and that's a bummer, but he probably still sells a shitload of papers, and he still gets that job. And he gives it up because of, like, the guilt he's been suffering and, you know, like Jack said earlier, it doesn't, like, completely redeem him, but he's trying to do, like, kind of anything at that point of contrition of, like, he's just so sick of it and just, like, go the – like, he knows he created this. He knows what he's done. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting that he threw it away. And it, it, I, that was one part that I thought was maybe a little false of how – how much the newspapers were against him because, like, yes, he gave the game away and he told – he told other newspapers and so they could go write a story, but all they know is guy's dead. He's been inside there yep. and he can write up. He could still write up like here are his final moments. I brought a priest to him. You could have written a really killer story. Totally. So I'm a little surprised that like, I mean, it's because the movie wants it to be a certain way, but mm-hmm. like the newspaper, the New York paper was like, you've ruined it. When instead they could have been like, Oh, you were there when he died. Write that story for us, Chuck. Right. Um, and then yeah. they don't. But again, the movie has its goals of what it's trying to do. And so, yeah. Well, and I think it also, I mean, he gives that announcement. And I, the, the movie also does, I think to its credit, um, refuse to give Tatum a full redemption. Because he does right. He yes. does try when he's on the phone with Nagel and, in New York. He tries to confess. He does. He like he starts like telling him like the truth, like the actual truth that like he, you know, he's like, "Here's your story, reporter, whatever, murders. murder, murder." He actually says murders yep. a man and like I don't remember the exact phrasing, but he starts trying to basically tell him what we have seen in the movie and Nagel has hung up. So yep. even even his attempt to like redeem himself and set the record straight, he's denied it. And I think that's part of what, like, what, what, what when I say, like, he he was denied, he, he wasn't able to get the ending he wanted. Like, he did give, like, just, like, his death, Leo's death away. Um, and he could have gotten 
you know, he's like you said, he still could have written like these were his last thoughts. We brought the priest and everything, but like he in his last moments, he had the ending he wanted to give that he finally decided that he was going to tell the actual story and no one was interested. Yep. Well, and also on his like guilt and, um, you know, like attempts at redemption, he never treats his wound. Like mm-hmm. it lasts over the course of like hours. Yeah. I think so from when yeah. he gets stabbed. And I, I feel that the movie's goal with that is, it's basically just the you could say oh is that is that believable would somebody not really do it right, he basically yeah. like stuffs some rags at his stomach and like is trying to like keep it closed but he ends up dying from the injury so i think the implication what we're supposed to walk away with is that he's just so racked with guilt from what he's been doing that he's focused on like he's, he's trying to save the guy's life when he realizes he can't he brings the priest there then he's telling everybody to go away like all and then he's trying to confess so it's like he has all these things that he's doing where like treating himself has become so far down the list or he doesn't even want to like he feels on some level he deserves to die from it that was I, what i got from it because i, I, th- felt that he I thought it. it was weird because it was like that's not that hard of a wound to get treated like you could <laughs> right. have survived but like and i think and i think it was like that he it was almost like penance you know he's yeah. yes he's, right good but, way of putting it which 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 i'm fine with but then also like if you're not treating that wound and you're just letting it be there he was doing an awful lot of moving around <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's true. Like, oh, he, just shove another rag down in there that'll cover it he did he he oh, did this one's sopping wet you got a new rag frank i need a new, I need a new gut rag he, he completed a number of actions that I don't think Crawled should have been completed with a <laughs> yeah, gaping, bleeding true. wound. Very true. There's one other uh, line of dialogue that kind of ties in with uh, everything he was doing and just like Tatum's character that I really liked, or exchange, I guess I should say. So the other reporters from around the country, New York, Chicago, all these places, basically he knows most of these guys from when he's worked places and they're kind of, they, they know him to be kind of a sleazeball and that he got fired and everything. He's in control. He's the only guy who's allowed in these caves. The sheriff is keeping him out of the caves. They're, you know, yelling at the sheriff like, oh, we should get to go in there. That's not fair. Only Tatum and so finally Tatum like shows up, walks in the tent with all of this Kirk Douglas yes. manly energy, yes. just like he's just full on in like they've been talking about him for about two minutes and now yeah. he's there and he yeah. knows it and he's not even angry. He's just gloating that he's so in control of not just the situation, but in control of them. And they try to plead with him, and one of them goes, come on, Chuck, we're all in the same boat. And he goes, I'm in the boat. You're in the water. Now let's see a swim, buddies. So good. And it's good. like amazing ah! 1950s dialogue. So good. I'm not your guy, buddy. <laughs> it is that moment is very strong. I also had that quote written down because yeah, he's just rubbing it in the faces of all his former colleagues, uh, and they all know what type of person he is. And I'm not saying that they're not also that type of person. They're just more successful than he is. And that oh, that scene is so good. The way he just tears them apart and then just walks away. He's like, I, I have no sympathy for you because I'm using this for my gain. Ugh, it's crazy. Uh, one stray thing I'll throw out there. So, Jack, earlier you mentioned that there is a character that's presented as native. He's in the newsroom. 
um, he's like a copy boy or something um, in a couple scenes. So that is a, he's an, actually a Sicilian actor, and I think he was in stuff a lot in like fifties and sixties, maybe forties. I think he played a lot of native characters, and he also played a lot of characters of different ethnicities because they did that kinds of stuff all the time in you know old Hollywood of like oh you could be this sure. Um, but that actor <laughs> is Iron Eyes Cody. Iron Eyes Cody is most famous for being in the Keep America Beautiful TV ad campaign oh, the, of the, the one-tier crying teeth. Indian, the uh, the recycle campaign that used to air on Nick at Night all the time and was parodied <laughs> in one of the Wayne's World movies. So yes, Iron Eyes Cody's Cody shows up in this movie. The 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 commercial that convinced us it's our fault the planet's dying yep absolutely not, not i think the in the 70s though i think people were just throwing shit all the time though I, I i think we did have to like get recycling and uh trash underway that's true because i remember that scene in mad men and i think it's based in reality um or they just dump everything off the blanket they're they're at a picnic they're at a picnic and they have like all these like paper plates and stuff set up and then like don draper just takes a beer can and he finishes it and he just chucks it across the park and then they just leave all the stuff and it's like clearly being put in the show to like show like oh we would never do that today that's not and i i think that's just kind of the attitude of 1963 or whatever it was set uh can we i feel like now's a good time to do dialogue it's the time to dive into great lines of dialogue yeah yeah i mean i think i think we've covered a lot but if you've got more go for it i do in the beginning uh there's a bunch of great lines tim you kept bringing up that rant that he had about how great new york was and he starts screaming about yogi Berra, and he's like you know who yogi Berra is right and he turns to this old woman who's like has no idea she's like yogi why it's sort of a religion isn't it he goes you bet it is (laughs) it's so great amazing fun fact and i wonder if that if that dialogue was tweaked i read that apparently when kirk douglas was reading the script he got to that part and had no idea what the fuck yogi bear (laughs) referred to and that his secretary had to tell him that he was a catcher in in baseball so i wonder once i read that i wondered if the exchange where he says that you know he is right like if if billy wilder added that in as like a playful jab yeah uh, and uh, on that, then... real quick, when I when when I when I was when I was watching that part of the movie when I started it, um, my wife was was in bed watching it with me, and she's not a baseball person; she doesn't know what like Yogi Bear or anything like that. So that line happens, and she's just laying like like turns to me, and she's like, "Was Yogi Bear named after Yogi Bear?" <laughs> He was. He was. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's like yeah, because she was like, "I always thought that was a weird name for a bear." <laughs> And I think Yogi Berra was not a big fan of that happening either. I'm sure he was not. Um, (laughs) But I I, I thought that was funny. (laughs) Agreed. Uh, Linton, you mentioned earlier the line, he said, bad news sells best Mm -hmm. uh, fairly early on in the movie. The line right after that, he says, because good news is no news, which I thought was also a very good line. Mm. Um, It's very prescient for now as we all doom scroll our Twitter feeds. I know completely a lot of this movie is pretty prescient rather i guess what this movie is is very 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 honest about human nature (laughs) and human nature does not change human nature is the same beginning of time end of time same we were shit we are shit we'll always be shit that's correct (laughs) absolutely correct um 
he is <laughs> the when he first meets his Albuquerque boss, his name is Mr. Boot, the editor chief or whatever yeah. of the newspaper. He's a positive character. That's that's He's another also good. he is. Agreed. He's one of the three. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> can count him on one hand. It's a lot of characters in this movie. He's one of the good ones. But they have a couple of really great, great lines. Uh, Chuck is basically telling Mr. Boot, no, I'm, I don't lie. I'm not lying to you about how good I am as a newspaper man. He says, I've done a lot of lying in my time. I've lied to men who wear belts. I've lied to men who wear suspenders. But I'd never be so stupid as to lie to a man who wears both belt and suspenders. And it cuts to a close-up of Mr. Boot, who has a belt and suspenders. And it's just wonderful. What a... It was such a weird little specific detail that I was like, oh, that's really fun. And, I mean, it never comes up again. It's just enjoyable. Just there there's to be a, fun. There's a thing with him I really liked of how they presented him. Basically, he's a, he's an older publisher mm-hmm. and uh, of, the, of the local newspaper here. And um, Chuck Tatum walks in, cock of the walk, like, you know, you're going to get $200 a week. And he's like, oh, how's that going to happen? And he's like, because I'm a... <laughs> $250 newspaper man and you're going to pay me 50 <laughs> and it's like okay old movie sure but <laughs> so they basically have this exchange and so Chuck is like saying that he's worth that much but he's down on his luck and he, he'll take $50 a week and the other guy is just like hearing him out and wants to kind of figure out whether he wants to hire this guy this other uh, the the publisher also has a sign that says like tell the truth yes and when libel is addressed by um by Chuck that it was an issue he had. This guy says that he's a lawyer, so basically he's like making sure anything they put out oh, yeah. is is okay. factual and is correct and that he, you know, he doesn't engage in anything. He's not shady. afraid of libel. Right. Um but he also doesn't want to do it. Not just he's not afraid. Like he he kind of holds it as a standard that he doesn't want. Well, to. No, that, that's his actual line though. I'm a lawyer. I'm not afraid of libel. I double check everything. Right, yeah. but I'm saying, but I'm, what I'm talking about is like how him as a character, who he is, like mm-hmm. as a person. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. saying that's a distinction. I think the movie's making that's important. Not just we won't get caught, but like I don't want to do it. Right. And um, so when, so Chuck Tatum is interpreting some of this as like he's playing hardball, and so eventually he's like forty-five a week, and then he eventually gets down to all right, forty a week, and so when finally the guy after he's kind of sussed him out enough, is agrees to hire him. He then hires him and says, people make $60 a week around here. And so not only did he give, did he not take what Tatum was willing to take at 40, he gave him $10 more than Tatum even walked in with. Mm -hmm. And like, that was a moment that like showed like real integrity for this very small character. And I thought Mm -hmm. it was like a very powerful old timey movie thing of like, that's really smart. I don't, I can't think of too many movies that have done that kind of subtlety at least yeah. recently and i noticed it and it jumped out of like oh yeah that tells us so much about this guy of like yeah i've, I've got him over a barrel but i'm not gonna do it yeah and so completely excellent dialogue the whole movie excellent dialogue so good and so um there's a lot of subtlety stuff like that that isn't in your face so much but then you pick up on it if you're like really listening to every line that's so good. It's so good. But then me having seen this movie before and knowing exactly what kind of person Kirk Douglas is, he says that, and I'm just like, don't do it. You're making don't a mistake. It. This is bad. Give him $10. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another line from that conversation, just funny more than anything else. So Chuck, as we mentioned, gave all of these, like, this is why I've been fired from all these other jobs, and here's what I did here, and here's what I did here. And he mentions at one point, he's like, I slept with the publisher's wife. And Mr. Boot 
is kind of going back yes. through all these things. Yeah, this slide's so good. He uh, he says to him, I think you should know that Mrs. Boot is a grandmother three times. If you want to start something with her, she'd be very flattered, which is just <laughs> so good. And just, like, delivered. There's, like, not even time for it. It's not like, ha, ha, ha. It's just delivered and he moves on. Like, it just keeps going. There's Yeah. It's like, like a lot of times today, like you have pe- when people deliver those kind of lines, they deliver a way where like they know it's funny and they want to make yes. sure that you get that yes. it's a joke. And this was just like, nope, just like, I'm just going to let it come out. If you get it, you get it. Otherwise, we're moving on. We're moving on. Yep. <laughs> so true. Completely true. The 30 Rock or Arrested Development way of writing comedy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Which I love, of course. Big fan. The 18 jokes a minute. Just like, yeah. oh, wait, wait. That was a joke. Wait, go back. Here's a very 50s and also film noir line, yeah. uh, which is excellent. And, of course, it is from Lorraine to Chuck. She said, I met a lot of hard-boiled eggs in my life. But you, <laughs> you're 20 minutes. <laughs> so good. Uh, I, I read, too, there's another like very old-timey movie dialogue line from her. And I guess it came from Billy Wilder's wife. So uh, somewhere religion gets addressed. I don't know if, like, Chuck Tatum is trying to convince her to, like, you know, kind of play up the grieving yeah. housewife thing or whatever. But some, something about, like, going to church is is talked about. And she says, like, oh, I don't go to church. The the kneeling bunches up my stockings. Um, and, you know, it's just, like, a very old-timey thing. But so it's like, good. yeah, okay, that, that works. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, the last one that I have that I really want to bring up is uh... – and Linton, again, you touched on this earlier, but at, at towards the end, when Tatum's the only one that knows that uh, Leo is dead, and he goes up on top of this mountain, he's looking out over all the people, and it, this movie's very impressive. It got tons of extras. It really feels like a real, all the external shots, the crowds, they did not pull any strings. There are hundreds of cars. Like, there's so much happening punches, for all of these. Hmm? Pull any punches? What did I say? Pull any strings, but is that what I said? That is yeah. definitely not what I it's meant fine. to say. Shoot, now I have to start over. Sorry. Right. Or you can just keep this in, and or you, if you want to re- yeah, restart, fine. you can. <laughs> I I almost did. I don't know what I, I was mean, saying. I probably shouldn't have jumped in. That's <laughs> fine. Whatever. Talking about all the, extras, the audience. The, the audience can hear. Uh, Pulling all the punch strings. <laughs> well, now it's becoming funny, so I have to keep. Yeah, it. I know we got to keep it in. All right, cool. I'm gonna look like an idiot to everybody. That's fine. It's nothing new. Anyway, this movie punched a lot of strings, and there are tons of people. It is very impressive for an older movie, Uh, and so Tatum is up on top of the mountain looking over all of this that he's created, this media circus, literal circus that he has caused to happen. Uh, and he grabs the microphone and, you know, tells them all, like, shut up, shut up, everybody. It takes him a while to get everybody to shut up because there's so much music and joy and all these things happening. And he tells them Leo is dead and that he died with the drill 10 feet away. Like, it, they were so close. Uh, and he's so bitter and so angry and telling them all to just leave. And he says, go on home, all of you. The circus is over. Like, he delivers it with all this depth and anger and disgust with himself and with them and everything. And it's just, I loved that moment. The circus is over. Because he means it very literally and also very figuratively. And it was well done. And what did you say they renamed it to? The The Big Big Carnival. Carnival. Yeah, okay. So that ties into that as well. 
Um, a couple like stray notes here. Um, so the movie, there's a there's some similarities to some real life events. I mentioned the baby Jessica thing, and there's been other people who've been trapped in wells and things like that. Uh, Jack alluded to the Timmy O'Toole episode of The Simpsons, where <laughs> Bart puts uh, a, a radio down a well and pretends to be Timmy O'Toole, and the whole town rallies around it. And then Bart eventually is like remorseful, I think. Um, or he's realize... trying to go get his yeah, radio back. Well, Lee, well yeah, okay. He's not re- yeah, he's not remorseful. It's not Lisa at all. tells him that <laughs> yep. he's going to get caught because his, he, he's like, I bet that radio had a property of Bart Simpson label on it. And he's like, oh, <laughs> it does. So he tries to go back down in, then he gets trapped in the well. Um, it's a great episode from the third or fourth season or something. Um, but yeah, so that was, you know, I think this movie is like partly inspired by that. But there's a couple of real Wait, life. Other incidents. way around. The episode was inspired strike by. That, Sorry, reverse it. Yeah, strike that, reverse it. Yes. <laughs> um, but so there's a couple incidents that I think inspired this film. And one of them is actually talked about in the movie. Tatum talks about an incident oh, yeah. that had happened. He's telling the photographer of like, yeah, this happened years ago. And it became this big deal. And we can do it too. I won't read the full thing I pulled, but basically... A man named W. Floyd Collins in 1925 was trapped in Sand Cave, Kentucky, following a landslide. And so there was a newspaper man who went to the scene, and then his coverage ended up getting... It became a national event, and his coverage earned him a Pulitzer Prize. So that happened, and then uh, and that's the one that is referred to in the film by Tatum. And then in 1949, so it's been a couple years prior... Um, a three-year-old, Kathy Fiscus, in San Marino, California, fell in an abandoned well during a search and rescue mission that lasted several days. Thousands of people arrived to watch the action unfold. In both cases, the victims died before they were rescued. So, mm-hmm. you know, this movie does kind of showcase reality. Yeah, completely. On the the genius of the director, we didn't talk that much about Leo's Leo's experience in the cave. I know somebody named Leo, so this always my brain is jumping to that. We don't haven't talked about Leo's experience in the cave that much, but the outside, Linton, you put it out earlier. It's in the desert. It's wide open. It's bright. There's so much space, and there's so much, and it's crowded, but it's still you know huge open spaces. And inside, it's so claustrophobic. It's so cramped, uh, and so dark. Oh, yeah, it's uh, always just in, like, tiny rooms for the most tiny. part. Tiny. And you feel it watching it. Uh, and it's, like, you know, in some ways clearly a set, but at the same time, still really well done. And Leo is, like, slowly going crazy in there. The sound of the drill just pounding yeah. every day is, like, making him lose his mind. And that juxtaposition of the joy and the party outside and the darkness that's happening inside mm-hmm. is so good. The director is excellent. I don't He's know. really going places, too. Yeah, have you have you seen much Billy Wilder? No, okay. sadly. Yeah, Just I would I would Dundee definitely check some of his. What was that, Tim? Just Double Indemnity for me. Yeah, uh, I mean, especially if you like film noir, Jack. Uh, Double Indemnity. I mean, I don't. I honestly, you know, he's not a director that I've like loved, but I usually appreciate his stuff. And you know, Double Indemnity the is a famous James M. Cain book, and then they turn it into it's like a seminal kind of film noir one. But Sunset Boulevard, if you haven't seen that, is also, you know, it's a it's a very impressive and interesting film and like has film noir elements, but like tied in with Hollywood. And so, yeah, like he's 
he's very interesting and he's really like he's a very good cinematographer or whoever he worked with for his cinematography mm-hmm. like all his movies look great um, and then he tended to you know do some stuff with some real bite and edge to it some like it hot might have been his like lightest that effort. I've seen yeah I've seen that that's the most playful one I think sure uh, seven year itch is kind of playful that's the one with the famous one of Marilyn Monroe, like standing over the grate of like, ah. isn't it delicious? And like, ah, the, yes, that I whole thing. That was Billy that Wilder. One, that's a yeah. lighter one, but a lot of his movies had some pretty dark elements. The last, the last thing I have to say about Ace in the Hole, and then we can, I don't know if we want to move into the final thoughts and everything, but yeah. Jack, you mentioned like Leo's experience and like him going mad with like the pounding of yep. the drill. I don't know if this is was actually a thing that was intentional or if it was just me making a connection that wasn't really there. But at one point, like, you, you hear the pounding. He talks about it driving him crazy. And then towards the end, like, right before Tatum finally starts kind of, like, feeling bad about what's going on and kind of breaks and does what he can to try to redeem the situation, there's that, like, typewriter machine in his room that's automatically going and the like the cadence of the like of the machine reminded me of hmm. the drill that Leo was hearing. Okay. Um, and and I, I'm not sure if it's just a quirk or coincidence, but like I, I heard like that happened. I was like, oh, like that's I wonder if that's intentional that like this like because obviously by the end of the movie, Tatum is going mad too like he's yeah. racking himself with good and everything. So I, I, I thought that maybe that could have been intentional on the director's part. Well, you could also flip that, strike it and reverse it. You could flip that on <laughs> thinking about, you know, so yeah, that could be like what the situation that Leo's in is reflective then of like you're saying Tatum of the, the striking sound. Yeah. But you could say that Leo's in the cave and that's the sound of Tatum's typewriter going. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, you know what Ooh, I mean? Like if, yeah. if you're, if you draw that thematic parallel that yeah. uh, he's trapped in there while Tatum is, he's constructed this scenario and he's typing away um while you know basically tato or uh, leo is dying of pneumonia we find out yeah yes um so that's that's what he other he's otherwise healthy but just because he's been there so long is what happens um only other thing i'll throw out there is um we're talking about billy wilder so i read this this is according to imdb i'm sure it's pulled from some you know book or interview or something but the film's utter and unrelenting cynicism so repulsed 1951 movie audiences that it lost Paramount a fortune. Writer-director Billy Wilder later admitted that it had a negative impact on his career while also citing it as one of his best, the best films he ever made. Um, and I did read that, Holy I guess. Yeah. So this, uh, this came after Sunset Boulevard, which was a big success and is still hailed as a classic and everything. And this was sort of his blank check. They were kind of like, okay, you can do whatever you want. And that's why, and this is the first one he was ever director, producer, and co-writer on. I don't know if he, he was directing films. I don't know if he was involved in either of those other two fields at all prior to. I mean, I think the end result is phenomenal. It just wasn't appreciated in the time. It wasn't a success. But, um, yeah, they were kind of like, yeah, you can go run with it. And then it didn't succeed. And it didn't kill his career because he went on to do a number of like high profile films after. But yeah, I think it like served as a solid speed bump for a bit. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, final things. Anything you want to throw out there before we wrap up? The one small piece I didn't 
there was nowhere really to talk about it. Just the complete desecration of this Native American holy site that mm. no one cared about at all. Mm. One of the things, I don't know why this in particular irked me the most when everything they did was terrible, but at one point they put giant letters on the oh yeah on the elect, cliff face elect sheriff whatever is reelect the sheriff yeah and it was like oh god it's so gross like it's just and then it's there for the whole rest of the movie uh and i don't know it just really got to me it was like the final straw breaks the camel's back of like this is disgusting how they're tatum, treating this and tatum already he like there's an earlier scene where he sees the mountain and like says that like he's like kind of picturing it like he puts his hand up like yeah. like he's like imagining that it could go there. Oh, I don't even remember that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so he there's an earlier part. I don't know exactly where it falls in the plot, but he like is kind of his wheels are spinning like we can do this and Hated then it's it. later. Infuriating. Yeah. Sorry, that was just a small thing we didn't bring up that made me so angry. No, that's true. That goes along with like 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 if progressive for the time, yes, but like things like that, I don't even know if audiences at the time would have done. Like it's gross in that like you're propping up this clearly corrupt sheriff and there's there's the clear you know cronyism going on but i'm not even sure that audiences at the time would have necessarily like i don't i don't know that that there would have been a connection between that and like oh this is a sacred indigenous site Ugh, that you yeah, are just not. essentially vandalizing yeah um, Ugh, for your for temperate like for nothing for nothing yeah. oh sorry angry <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's gross yeah all right, uh, wrapping up here, would you recommend Ace in the Hole? Yes, it is. It is very good. Um, and again, it's you know, taking into account it's a 1951 movie. Like there are like watching it in 2022, you can go like, oh, the, there are problems with it. But on the whole, it is a very good movie. It makes a very good point, and it does it in a very compelling and depressing way um because as we've said a number of times it's a very dark movie and the, yeah. and and just how dark it is sneaks up on you a little bit because like you know jack made a really good point of saying like for the first 20 some minutes it like it feels like any other 1950 movie maybe almost like a light-hearted farce or something and just mm -hmm. slowly more and more stuff gets pulled in where it's like it really kind of shows the worst like the maybe not the worst but like some really troubling aspects of like cynicism in society mm -hmm. um so yeah it's it's definitely worth watching um and i and as has been brought up before i it, it would make a very good although again depressing and probably would not leave you feeling very good but it would make a very good double feature with a face in the crowd which apparently i have to watch because you guys have brought you it up. You should. It's fantastic. Yeah. And Andy yeah. Griffith is terrifying in that movie. Oh. It is, it is hands down the best performance I've ever seen of him. Yeah, wow. I, I, won't I won't spoil anything for you, Jack. Um, but, you. you know, we, we did the episode on it. But, yeah, like, it was made before he did the Andy Griffith show. And we think of Andy Griffith oh. as being, you know, oh, he's the lovable sheriff, yeah. Andy Taylor. And then he became Matlock and he's everybody's grandpa. Yeah. So this was like one of his first roles ever, like one of his first film roles and maybe first roles, period. And he is similar to Chuck Tatum in a lot of ways, but he's angrier and more mm. desperate. He starts lower than Chuck Tatum starts. Gotcha. And he goes higher than Chuck Tatum goes. Okay. And he's just kind of this 
vicious but very alluring character. Like he's we, we well, you were on the episode when we did Bob Roberts. We did yeah. a face in the crowd along oh, with that right, right before yeah. the election. We talked some elements of Trump because yeah. his character is very alluring. There are certain ways of why people are drawn to him in that mm-hmm. film. And then mm-hmm. other characters start to realize eventually, oh, wait a minute. This guy isn't totally on the level. So that's that's why I did th- that one and Bob Roberts leading up to the election. That makes sense. I, I incredibly recommend The Face in the Crowd yeah. to you and anyone else. Um, yeah, really track that one down. Yeah. Face in the Crowd and Ace in the Hole are very good companion pieces to one another. Very good to know. And as far as my opinion on this, it's been pretty clear throughout this whole uh, recording of how I feel about it. But yes, this is an excellent movie. This is... I am infuriated that this isn't more popular because I want to talk about it to everybody (laughs) uh, and I want to reference it. Like, there's so much to this movie and it's so excellent on every level. It's so well done and it's just a crime that it's not more well known. So thank goodness we're doing a podcast on it and, you know, all five of our listeners are now going to be like, oh, what a great movie. I'll watch that. All right. So for myself, yeah, uh, as as is with everyone here on the podcast, I very much recommend it. I've seen it maybe once or twice before. I've owned it for a while. Um, so, you know, I, I haven't seen it tons, but I have definitely appreciated it anytime I watch it. As Tim has said, as we've talked about, very much pairs with A Face in the Crowd and some other media satires. Network is a Ooh, great film from the 70s, movie. classic film. Um, you know, some... It, I mean, Face in the Crowd and Ace in the Hole are 1950s, so there's a lot of stylistic sensibilities that are similar. Network's 1970s, so it's pushing things in different directions. Bob Roberts has elements of media satire to it as well. Um, The Player with Tim Robbins is another that has... uh, It's a a Hollywood kind of uh, satire. So, like, basically, I kind of have a small section of my Blu-rays that are, like, like looks at different forms of media in dark ways. Um, Wag the dog, satire. another one. Uh, with, the fake know, like, news uh, row. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 kind of. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's a great film. It's really interesting. You know, we've obviously talked about like kind of, you know, we'll do a lot of these episodes and we'll get into character dialogue or a lot of times when we're doing like horror and fantasy sci-fi, we get a lot into like world building and stuff. Mm-hmm. When you're dealing with like dramas. It's going to be, we're going to talk a lot more about plot and character because there's not space aliens and, you know, other planets (laughs) and shit. So if you've listened to this whole episode, I will apologize because you know basically everything that happens versus when you listen to some episodes, we kind of touch lightly on certain aspects of plot. That said, you know, we always warn in our information that, like, there's spoilers and everything. But if you, uh, maybe you're listening to this after having watched it. Or maybe you got a taste in the first 20 or so minutes and went and watched it. But regardless, whatever your scenario is, I think it's still an incredibly worthwhile film to watch. Um, as Jack, I said, I, I said earlier, I think just like the darkness of it and how it's reflective of like modern times or it, it just shows human nature in a way you don't expect from a movie from 1951. Mm-hmm. Whereas movies like, I don't know, There Will Be Blood from you know uh around 15 years ago at this point like that's a very bleak yeah i think so that's a very bleak cynical movie and when that came out 
it shook people, but also people didn't riot in the streets. Like it, it became, you know, it won Oscars and became yeah, it made a, a lot success. of money. Yeah. yeah, this this movie did not. And it deserves the accolades it's gotten in the decades since. And like I said, it Roger Ebert put it on his great movies list. Other mm-hmm. critics are hailing it over the years. And it has been selected for preservation in the National Film Registry. But I did see that it, like it only came within like the last 15 years or something like that they put it on there. Like when you think of like how like it's such an old it's like not like a movie from like 1980. Like it's like that it was not put in before that Mm -hmm. was pretty surprising for me to see. Especially considering, you know, Kirk Douglas, Billy Wilder. It's not like these are like obscure people in film history. So this might be. This might be one of my favorite movies that we've done so far. This is probably oh, nice. easily in the top five that I've watched for this podcast. Maybe top three. It is phenomenal. Very good. Yeah, I uh, I'm glad you all enjoyed it. And and I'll I'll also throw on that that it's one of my favorite films of the '50s. I think I've mentioned on previous podcasts like the '50s for me is not a decade I love for film. Because if you look at, like, I like some stuff from the 20s, like silent stuff, German expression stuff, things like that, going into 20s You know, lighthearted stuff. Well, no, no. I'm joking from me being an idiot earlier. Yeah, no, that's (laughs) fine. So so I like some of that stuff. I like some of the comedies of, like, Chaplin, the Marx Brothers, going in, Mm -hmm. like, the 30s, um, Buster Keaton, um, some movies from the 40s. I feel the 50s is where it got really, like, Hayes code buttoned down we can't do anything you get a lot of sanitized junk and then by the 60s it starts to come out of that and it becomes better that said there are still some films from the 50s that i enjoy um and a face in the crowd is one of my favorite films of the 50s and this is also one of them it's it's it would be they both of those would easily be in the top 10 Mm. if i had to make a list all right. Um, yes. Yeah, so that is Ace in the Hole for us. Wrapping up here. Can I find this? So this movie actually is very widely available. Um, so you should be able to track it down. It's on YouTube, Amazon Prime, Google Play, Vudu, Apple TV, and I saw many others as well. And they were like variable prices. So some places were like, oh, you can watch this for two ninety nine. Other places are like six ninety nine. So shop around. I'm also going to throw this out every time it is on there. It's on Hoopla, so check and see if uh, your local library Ah, partners with Hoopla, and then you can watch it for free. Also, support your local libraries. Yes, we established in a previous episode that Tim must have stock in Hoopla. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, no, it's good good to note. Um, Yeah, I I go, there's something, I think it's called, like, Just Watch or something that I've often been using, and it'll show a lot of stuff of what's streaming places. So if you don't use that, uh, you can look for that. It's a good service to uh, showcase where things are. And then wrapping up here, it is on DVD and it is on Blu-ray, both from Criterion, the masterful Criterion collection. So you can get a face in the crowd, or sorry, you can get a face in the crowd is also on Criterion, but you can get uh, Ace in the Hole on Criterion uh, from them. Lastly here, we will be back next time and we are going to be looking at Leviathan, which is an underwater creature feature kind of movie in the style of alien from what i understand so we will be looking at leviathan from the 1980s coming up next see you then